John chapter 12. John 12 introduces us in our gospel that we've been going through verse by verse. John chapter 12 introduces us to the, the triumphal entry, the time when Jesus rides into Jerusalem the week of his death at the high feast of Passover. Here comes Jesus striding into Jerusalem. And I'm going to read verses 12 down through verse 19. And so if you have a Bible or you have your bulletin, would you please stand with me as we read God's word together. John chapter 12, beginning at verse 12, down through verse 19. And the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. So they took branches of palm trees and went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. And his disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and had been done to him. And the crowd that had been with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to bear witness. And the reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they heard he had done this sign. And so the Pharisees said to one another, you see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but God's word stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Please. What if we were to awake this morning and you were to find yourself in a city square decked with lights? Mistletoe was hanging over the entrances to the shops and in the houses you could see into the window that there were chimneys hung by the there are stockings hung by the chimneys with care, and, and there were Christmas trees and big bay windows. You would immediately know that it was what season? Christmas. What if we woke up this morning and we saw the grass was emerald green and the tulips were in full bloom and there were little plastic eggs everywhere and chocolate bunnies? You would immediately know it was what? What if we all fell into a deep sleep and we woke up and we found that there was mistletoe hanging over the doorways and our neighbor's lights were, were all over their house, but the grass was green and the tulips were blooming and there were eggs in the yard and chocolate bunnies. You would think somebody's trying to make a point. <laughs> and when people saw um, Jesus come into Jerusalem... The Galileans who were in the crowd would have wondered, hmm, it's the time of Passover. It's a time when we get to celebrate the exodus out of Egypt. It's the time when we get to celebrate the lamb and the blood over the doorpost that caused the angel of death to pass over the houses of the Israelites. But yet, there's aspects of Hanukkah. There's palm branches that are being waved. And there's, a, there's an entry, a triumphal entry where we're praising 
this rabbi, hail, king of the Jews. It would have been a very confusing time in Jerusalem back then. And people who were there at the first Palm Sunday, they would have wondered, hmm, it's not the right time of year, but there are palm trees being waved, just like they were being waved when Judas Maccabees conquered the empire and restored peace to Israel. And everybody walked behind Simon, the high priest, in 141 B.C., and they waved palm branches for the entrance of the king as we come into Jerusalem, reestablished as an individual, independent country from the hand of the oppressors. And they would have thought, this is the time of Passover. It would have been a very confusing season. It would have been the blending of two very well-known holidays all in one. And just like the disciples could not understand what was going on when Jesus walked into Jerusalem that first time. I mean, the text says the disciples did not understand it. Did you hear it earlier when I read it? So also, friends, we live in a very confusing time, and we need some work to understand what's going on in this first Palm Sunday. We, we live in a culture that is moving faster than a freight train. It used to be that you would experience culture shock once every generation, and now you experience culture shock every decade, at least, it's Passover and Hanukkah. Many say they're, 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 they're Christians, but very few go to church. We say we have a high view of family values, but the rates of divorce are skyrocketing. There's less teen pregnancy, but there's more teen depression. We have instant communication and yet a profound and prolonged sense of loneliness. We have more technology to bring us all together, and yet never in history have we as human beings felt existentially, personally, deeply more isolated. We've never lived longer, and yet there's never been greater obesity or heart disease. And we spend all of our time trying to solve these problems, don't we? And all the ways you try to solve them are just like, like appetizers, they're like appetizers to, to the main meal. And you know, what, you know what's wrong with appetizers? Is that if you just get the appetizer, it's like worse than if you had nothing at all, right? Because when you have the appetizer, just, it awakens your body to your real hunger pangs. And all of a sudden, you, 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 you're like salivating for the main course. When can it get here? Every way we've tried to solve our societal problems has been like an appetizer for a starving man. And there's no main course. But yet something in us longs for the main course. We want it to happen. And God seems to be trying to make a point this first Palm Sunday. And his point is the same point that he has been trying to make ever since that first day when Jesus strode into Jerusalem. And the point is this, that Jesus Christ is the true solution. He's the true answer. He is the true king coming to set his people free. That's what this text teaches us this morning, and I want us to say it together. Jesus is our true king coming to set his people free. Can we say that together? Jesus is our true king coming to set his people free. Let's say it again. Jesus is our true king coming to set his people free. Now, how? 
There's two ways in the text. How does he do it? Number one, Jesus, the true king, is coming to set his people free as a servant, not a senator. First, John shows us that Jesus, our true king, is coming to set his people free as a servant, not a senator. John shows us that Jesus' true kingliness lies within himself to unite characteristics and qualities that otherwise could not be united under the same head or in the same person or in the same heart. And if we're not aware how Jesus is our true king, how he leads us to victory, then we, just like the Galilean onlookers at the first Palm Sunday, are going to miss the victory that Jesus has achieved for us. Jesus' calling was not to be an earthly king, but to be a heavenly one. And he was to be a heavenly king in order to unite heaven and earth together. You heard it earlier when Scott led us through uh, our greeting of peace. For in him all fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him to reconcile himself to all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Jesus unites these things. When you think about your ideal king, your ideal ruler, what do you think about? We always think about the ideal person as somebody who has both strength and meekness. Somebody who's strong and yet somebody who's tender. Somebody who, in the face of danger's eyes, flash with justice. And at the same time, their eyes are the first to well up with tears at your pain. That's our true king, isn't it? And we've seen this all throughout literature. And we see this all throughout every Marvel superhero that you've seen movies of in the last 10 years. I mean, you think about strength and weakness, right? You think about Black Panther. You think about Wakanda, this amazing tribe that's got the strength of this rare, beautiful metal that allows them to have advancements in technology. They're strong against their enemies, and yet they pose as a third world country. <laughs> They're meek. Or Henry V, right, as Shakespeare I was forced to read this when I was in high school. Did you guys remember this stuff? Henry V, right? This great noble king. But when you read about his life, right? His life was a disaster. And he slaughtered the prisoners after a war in one, uh, uh, one circumstance of a sign where he's not the perfect king. But every hundred years or so, we immortalize this perfect king. Strength, power, meekness, humility, Every campaign for political office you've ever seen, you've seen the ads that unite these things. He's a man of character, strong in moral principles, able to fight injustice, and yet he hears your concerns, and he's one of you. Uniting strength and meekness. And where do we get this idea that these two things can be united? Hmm? We know, I mean, even the front page of the Tulsa World this morning shows yet another example, right, of which any of us could probably be on the cover of that page showing, showing our own struggles, but on the cover of the Tulsa World, there's an example of what? Of somebody who was once in political office who, who now is trying to put their life back together because our true kings, no matter how beautiful and ideal they may seem, we know that there's, it is an impossible thing to unite perfect strength and weakness and perfect strength and power and weakness and tenderness. It's impossible, but yet our hearts yearn for it. It's like appetizers. We just long for the main course. Where do we get this from? This is not a Greek idea. 
This is not a Roman idea. This is not some northern Norse myth. This is not a marvel idea. We get this because our hearts yearn, yearn for what the Christian story says is true. It's a Christian idea because we get it from seeing Jesus, the one who strode into Jerusalem, not on a white stallion or a war horse like Caesar, but what? It says that he found, he, he looked, he found a donkey to intentionally fulfill what Cher read for us earlier in Zechariah 9. The true deliverer of Israel will come on a war horse. No, he comes on a donkey. True power and meekness. The Pharisees look and they say to him, the whole world has gone after him. Power. And yet he's on a donkey. Meek, gentle, lowly. Our longing for the true king is embodied in the person of Christ who comes to us as a servant, not a senator, friends. He is your true king because he is tapping the thing that your appetizer is calling forth. He's the main course. He is the thing that you have always longed for. Do you know him? Is he your true king? When the writer of this book, John, was on the island of Patmos, he saw these two things come together, didn't he? Remember in Revelation chapter 5, it says, I saw a lion. I saw the lion of Judah. And when Jesus looked at the lion, what did he see? He heard the lion and he looked and he saw what? He saw the lamb. Strength of the lion, meekness and tenderness of the lamb. Jesus brings both of these things together. The lamb who was the lion... The lion who was the lamb. Strength and meekness perfectly unites in Christ. When Jonathan Edwards was writing a sermon on, on that particular image of the lion and the lamb in, in Revelation chapter 5, he wrote, The beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ consists largely in a conjunction of actually such diverse excellencies, which otherwise would have seemed as utterly incompatible to us in the same subject. And here Jesus has all power and authority, but he rides in on a beast of burden, on a donkey. Not to conquer the Romans, not to conquer our problems, but to conquer what? Death itself. He's not the one to look for in the ballot. He is the one for whom our hearts sing. Blessed is he, they cry. Blessed is he. Not only is Jesus the servant, but he's the death conqueror. Strength and meekness together. Second, Jesus is our true king coming to set his people free. Let's say it again together. Jesus, our true king, coming to set his people free by raising us to life, not giving us the American dream. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they cried. Now, the word blessed is not a word that I use very often these days. I don't know about you. It's not a word that we hear. But if you read the word blessed in Scripture, you can replace it with um, ultimate meaning, endless riches, personal fulfillment, 
personal and social revolution, security, true freedom. That's what the word blessed means. The word blessed is in a phrase, attaining the American dream. The American dream is a very beautiful dream. The idea of owning your own home with a picket fence and a comfortable job and a nice family with two and a half kids, one and a half dogs, and thankfully only half a cat is something for which people outside this country long. And the image of the rugged individual striving into the American frontier has been spread throughout the whole world through Hollywood so that communal cultures like in Asia and the Middle East, sociologists are showing, are actually radically changing because they have been confronted with the American dream and they too want it. I mean, you just have to listen to the news this week. People are lining up on our southern borders just to give their children a taste of it. Families would risk everything just to taste it. But great as it is, the American dream is like filet, is like Alpo compared to filet mignon of knowing Christ as your true king. It is like, I mean, you know this to be true in your own heart. It's like, it's like, it's like gorging yourself out on Alpo when filet mignon is offered to you. You know what this is like because most of you have been in this country your whole lives. You know what it's like. And yet, you know the discontentment in your own heart. And there are thousands of people who would love to be where you are. And yet, you know the deep brokenness that resides in you. It's deep. Because you know the American dream could never fulfill you. It's just the appetizer. Families would risk everything just to have a taste of it. And here you gorge yourself out on it. And yet, you know there's something more. The story of the triumphal entry happens right after Jesus raises his friend Lazarus from death. It is the final seventh sign of the Gospel of John. We introduced the first several uh, weeks ago, and we'll talk about the next six in the days ahead. It's a final sign, and people are flocking to him in faith because of it. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead physically as a final sign that our true king comes to give us new life. And he is not in the business of making bad people good. He is in the business of making dead people live. Amen? He wants to shape us and mold us. and call, he, Blessed is he! And he wants to extend to us that blessedness, which is far greater than the American dream as filet mignon is to Alpo. It is by seeing that the lion has become the lamb that we begin to get a taste of this blessed life. Blessed is he. Significance, meaning, riches, fellowship with God. It is here for the offer. Strength and meekness. Your king is offered to you. Paul wrote about this resurrection life when he said, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, but by grace you have been saved. And it is a gift of the king. It's a gift of God. And later in Philippians, Paul says, Oh, that I may know him, the one who is at the top of the ladder before he came to Christ as a persecutor of Christians. And then after he became a Christian, he said, Oh, oh, that I may taste it. May, I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Jesus 
our true king is coming to set his people free as a servant, not a senator, and by raising us to life, not by giving us the American dream. And he gives us this blessed good news in two ways. By seeing him, we will either, like the crowd, recognize that we are sinners and witness to his glory, pull out palm branches and wave them to him, worship him, or we will, like the Pharisees, be confronted with Jesus and immediately be offended. <laughs> the whole world has gone after him. The Pharisees had just compiled this amazing collection of good works. And when they realized that all of those were going to spoil, they got defensive. And it says in the text, interestingly, if you read earlier in, in John chapter 11, that they plotted to kill Jesus. But they didn't just plot to kill Jesus. Who else did they plot to kill? Lazarus. Because we're going to take down both of them. And we're going to prove Jesus to be the fool that we need him to be in order for our good works to commend us to God. And when the Pharisees saw his popularity, they knew they could no longer kill him quietly without it being on the front page news. And so they plotted then to gerrymander a circus of a trial in order to kill this innocent rabbi who was truly the son of God. The priests, the Pharisees, read the Torah, they had it memorized, and they were confronted with grace. And they got defensive. Do you? When you see someone who's hurt you in the past, and you see them put their life back together, do you rejoice with them, or do you sneer at them? When somebody who has deeply wounded you grows in repentance... Are you one who is able to forgive them, even though there may be circumstances that don't allow your relationship to ever be what it once was? Do you rejoice deep in your heart for their restoration with their heavenly father? Or do you look at them and go, guilty. I'm never going to the same room with him. When you see something beautiful happen to a brother or sister at Trinity, do you rejoice with them? When you hear of reconciliations and, and marriages, do you, do you celebrate with them? When you see people who are giving their lives, right, to, to serve those with mental illness, do you say, yes, keep going, this is awesome. I celebrate with you your small little victories in the midst of a very, very difficult calling. That's the calling to which we're called together. So that when we see grace break forth, whether it be in our personal lives or we see us be instruments of grace in the lives of other people, we applaud it. We see that it changes everything. And we say, yes, that's beautiful. Keep going. Either you will join the crowds and you will witness to his glory or you will, like the Pharisees, be offended by his grace. Which are you? When Jesus, when he rides into the the city for the first time. I can't wait for glory. Maybe we'll get to ask him. I, I, I want to ask him, what were you thinking about when you were riding into glory? And Jesus, the true king, I imagine, was probably thinking of both the reality and difficulty of his week ahead, seeing the people wave palm branches, 
hearing perhaps some of their voices crying crucify him within a matter of six days. But I bet he was also thinking about the Psalms that he probably had memorized in Psalm 96, where in Psalm 96 it says that all of creation will sing out in praise to him. The trees and the forests will sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes. He comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in faithfulness. Or Isaiah 55, when it says, For you will go out in shouts of joy and be led forth in peace. And the mountains and the hills will rejoice before you. They will break forth into singing. All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Jesus is probably thinking as he walks into Jerusalem, oh man, this is amazing in this experience to see these people praising me. But you know what? One day I'm going to come again into a new city and I'm going to come riding again in victory. And there are going to be palms waving again. But it's not just going to be palms detached from their trees. It's going to be palms still connected to the trees. All of creation renewed. The grass will be blooming. Flowers everywhere. The new city, it's going to be beautiful. And Jesus is giving us a foreshadowing of what it's going to be like when he comes again. And all of creation bursts forth into praise. And we have the opportunity again then to be able to say, Hail him, the king of the Jews. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because we'll be with him. And the amazing thing that John is doing in this passage in teaching the disciples who didn't get what was happening is John is trying to show his disciples that you, you are becoming servants like Jesus. You are both filled with strength because of the power of his Holy Spirit, and yet you're meek. It is okay if nobody ever knows your name. You're called by the king on his mission in your various vocation and in your life, but yet you may never have the success of your idealized American dream. You'll have something better. You'll have your true king's strong pronouncement that you are his child, you are a son, you are a daughter. And you will stand with the trees, palms waving, attached to their branches, praising God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And you'll be part of the triumphal entry again when Jesus comes to make everything new. But in order for that to burst forth on our hearts now, you have to recognize that Jesus Our true king comes to set his people free as a servant, not a senator, who comes to conquer not your problems, but to conquer your greatest problem and fear, and that is death and sin itself. And he also comes not to give you the American dream. He comes to give you resurrection life so that now we can go out and live as his servants. Friends, you have your king's acclamation in your purse, in your wallet, in your, in your phone. You have a card that says, if you're in Christ, it says, blessed with he, the king of the world. Live like it, would you? I wish you would. Where are those who are going out to, to start orphanages in our city? Where are those who, we talk a good game about trying to be servants to the community. Where are those who are trying to make our cities more beautiful? Because there are those people who call themselves servants, but that just use their cities in order to 
achieve their own little mini micro-American dreams. We say we're servants of the king. We call ourselves Christians. But yet when it comes to public service, we want nothing to do with it. It's inconvenient. But don't you know that making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for your child is a beautiful act of worship? And don't you know that for some of us who have the resources and the time, starting new organizations in town, bringing ministries to town, helping Owasso and helping Tulsa and Broken Arrow and Jinx and Bigsby flourish is part of our calling. And the Lord has equipped you to do that in ways that he is uniquely giving you perspective, in ways he hasn't given other people. Blessed are you together with he who comes, the name of the Lord. Live out those gifts according to his calling upon your life. And to do so, in the train of Jesus' great triumphal entry. The hands of the king are the hands of a healer, and thus shall the rightful king be known, they said of Aragorn, in the fellowship of the ring. And Jesus' healing hands come to heal you, to unite you, to make you a servant like him, so that you might display both strength and meekness together as you see him. Do you see him? Your king. Jesus is coming to find you. He is striding in in order for you to know that he is your king. He's not coming on a stallion. He's coming on a donkey. Do you see him? He is the lion. And he's the lamb. He is the strong. And he is tender. And he knows exactly where you are. And he's saying to you, I'm your king. Come to me. Let's change this world for my glory. He wants you. He came to win you. Jesus, our true king, is coming at last to set us free. Jesus is the true king coming to set his people free. Let's say it together. Jesus is the true king coming to set his people free. Let's live that out. Amen. Blessed are you, Jesus, who comes in the name of the Lord, Yahweh, as our Lord, as our king to set us free. Amen.